Welcome back to Bookum, a podcast where I read great books for you. Today we continue the story of Walls Within Walls by Maureen Sherry. In our last episode, the children, C.J. Britt and Patrick, discussed the meaning of the book left as a clue by Mr. Post, enjoyed a lively game of living room football with their dad, and met Mrs. Munn, the proper-looking lady from downstairs. And now, back to Walls Within Walls. Chapter 10. At one the next morning, C.J.'s alarm clock went off. He wasn't sure why he felt this way, but he wanted to be alone when he examined the hearth in his dad's office. In a family like his, the middle of the night was the only time he could do that. He tiptoed to the office, noticing three partially filled coffee cups. It looked like his dad had spent a long night laboring over problems with his LeCube company. Since Bruce Smithfork's screensaver was still glowing, C.J. figured his father must have just left the room. C.J. sat in the office chair and watched the words, DigiSpy, a division of the LeCube Company, form a swirling cyclone on the screen. This was the new spy game his dad was inventing. Every time C.J. asked if he could test it out, Bruce Smithfork would say, Wait till it's through my testing department. C.J. could feel his insides deflate when that happened. His dad seemed to forget that C.J. had once been his testing department. Now Bruce Smithfork employed people who had gone to college for that stuff, experts at making people want to buy his gaming system. As C.J. leaned back in his dad's chair, he noticed a poem etched into the wall above Mr. Post's built-in desk. It read, The Thief Left It Behind the moon at my window. Ryokan, 1758 to 1831. Wonder why he had that there, C.J. thought. That post guy was just crazy for poetry. Weird. He glanced outside the office window looking for the moon, but it was black outside, except for the lights of the surrounding buildings. Using just his flashlight and the blue light from the computer screen, he examined the fireplace. Nothing seemed amiss or unusual. He moved his hands up and down and felt nothing. The tiles seemed to be laid evenly, the cement holding them together perfectly aligned. He tried again, this time pushing each tile just in case there was a spring behind one of them. Nothing. C.J. lay down and flashed his light up the chimney, seeing only blackness and a tiny dot of night sky. Sadly, thought C.J., this night will give way to another day, and that day is one day closer to St. James's school. How he wished he were back in Brooklyn. He realized they might not have time to visit Grant's tomb before school started, but who cared? He didn't care about the post-mystery anymore. He didn't care that his family was suddenly wealthy. He felt scared about his new life, this new neighborhood that came with so many rules, and that was the last thing he thought before falling asleep right there on the floor. He slept soundly with his head under the fireplace flue, his legs sticking out into the room. It was dawn when his father came into the office. Fall down the chimney, C.J.? he asked casually, grabbing some papers off his desk. By the time C.J. could get his eyes open, Bruce Smithfork was gone. He had not even waited to hear the answer. 
C.J. lay on the floor, dazed, rubbing his eyes while listening to his dad shut the front door, leaving to beat the rush to midtown Manhattan. There's nothing to wake up for, thought C.J., and he drifted back into a thick sleep. The next time C.J. woke, bright sunshine was everywhere. He could hear Maricel shooing Karen off the tricycle as she rode up and down the main hallway. C.J. lay there figuring out what to do with his fourth to last day of freedom. Maybe he would jump onto the A-train, head back to his old neighborhood. He wondered if he would look different to his old friends after almost a week of living on the Upper East Side. His mind swimming with nonsense, C.J. stared up the chimney at nothing, until the nothing that he saw suddenly looked like something. Up in the flue, about four feet from the ground, the tiles had some sort of inscription. He trained his flashlight on it, seeing numbers separated by dashes placed in a ring. Were they dates? They were written in a circle, so how could he know where the inscription began and where it ended? Quickly, he sat up. Smack! He hit his head on the cold tile at the bottom opening of the fireplace. Ah! he said, hardly stopping, as he slammed open his dad's desk to get a pen. He wrote down the numbers, keeping them in order, and noting the dashes. 7-15-14-9-22-1-20-19-21 Just as he finished, someone pushed the office door open so forcefully that it slammed against the opposite wall. It was Maricel. Are you allowed in here? she asked. C.J. could tell she thought he was always up to mischief. "'Yes, my dad was in here with me,' C.J. answered, rubbing his head. "'Okay, then,' Maricel took a big breath. "'Your mom is out. I put breakfast on the table for you and Brid. I'm taking Patrick and Karen to the park, and I think you should come, too.' "'Park as in playground?' C.J. grimaced. "'I cannot watch you if you aren't with me. And what are you writing?' Maricel sounded exasperated as she looked at the numbers on his pad. Just a math problem. Can Brit and I please stay home? We won't go anywhere. We'll be good, please. She looked skeptical. I need to check with your mother. I used to stay home alone all the time. Really, we're used to it. If they stay home, then I'm staying home, Pat said. He was out of sight and his voice was muffled. Che Guevara! You see, she said, I cannot win in this house. She threw up her arms and stormed off, taking only Karen with her, leaving C.J. to stand and wonder why his Filipina nanny was speaking Spanish. A full five minutes passed before the others came out of hiding. "'Is she gone?' asked Brid cautiously. She had been behind a closed bathroom door. "'I think so,' said C.J. Giggles came from beneath the still-overturned sofa in the living room. C.J. nodded toward the sound. "'Guess Pat managed to skip the playground, too.' "'Party time!' said Brid. "'No, it's clue time,' C.J. said dramatically. "'Really? You found something?' C.J. motioned Brid back into the office, and Patrick crawled out from under the sofa to join them. "'Lie on your back, right here,' C.J. said, as he crawled in and trained the flashlight on the exact spot. "'Whoa! Is that a secret code?' Brid asked. "'I don't know.' Maybe it's from a combination lock, C.J. said. 
We need to check the other two hearths. Brid took the flashlight. So it's not really in the hearth, but you have to lie on the hearth to see it. Interesting. Standing upright again, she picked up her pink spiral notebook and wrote down the numbers. Then she headed down the hall toward the living room fireplace, her brothers behind her. I didn't see them last night, but there are numbers here too, she said. At about the same height in the second chimney, the tiles were laid with another circle of numbers. This circle was larger, because it had more numbers. Brid, hand me that paper, C.J. said. Brid tossed her notebook to him. Just tell me the numbers, and make sure you read them beginning at the twelve o'clock spot. Though her voice sounded far away, Brid shouted the numbers while C.J. wrote them down. Twenty-three, dash one, dash nine, dash twenty, dash five, dash eighteen, dash four, dash twenty-one, dash thirteen, dash two. C.J. stared at the numbers while Pat, seeing that their work was done in the living room, seized the chance to get to the next fireplace before them. "'I'm the only one who can fit in the kitchen fireplace,' he said, running down the hall, the others at his heels. The kitchen hearth had the narrowest opening, making it hard to see inside. Without any hesitation, Pat crawled onto the hearth, unfolded himself slowly, and stood up in the chimney. "'Pat, what's it like in there?' Brid asked her pencil sketching the shape of the hearth. They could hear Patrick cough. It's dirty. Is there anything unusual in there? Anything you can read? Nope. Bummer. Pat? Uh-huh. You can come out now. When I'm done. When you're done with what? said C.J. When I'm done seeing through the dirt, I need a rag or something to clean with. Seeing what through the dirt? Brid asked impatiently. C.J. was calmer. Pat, are you reading something? Stop shaking the flashlight. I'm not reading. I'm seeing. Can you really read numbers like words, or do you just see numbers? C.J. groaned. Pat, he said, you can hardly read as it is. What do you see? Some very dirty numbers that I'm cleaning off with my shirt. Brid jumped up and down, flapping her arms. Pat, please tell us the numbers you see, C.J. said. Pat's muffled voice read, 22, 1, 14, 20, 19, 19, 5, 81. Oh, no, said C.J. It's not what I thought. Not what you thought about what, Brid asked, scribbling furiously. Well, at first I thought the numbers were a substitution code, like where 1 is the letter A, 2 is B, and so forth. It's a pretty common code, but that would only work if no number was higher than 26, because there are only 26 letters in the alphabet. Pat saw an 81, so it blows my theory. Now I don't know what the numbers mean. Brid was quiet for a second. Pat, before you come out, she said, can you please give us that last number again? Yep, 81. And which digit is first in that 81? Duh, the 1. So it reads 1 and then an 8. Yep. You're a genius, Pat. Come on out now. Depends. Depends on what? Depends if you have any bubble gum for me. CJ and Brid grinned at each other. 
But how do we know he didn't jumble any of the other numbers? C.J. asked. Pat only turns things around at the beginning or end of a sentence, said Brid. I bet it's the same with numbers. Let's see if it works. Slowly, Pat pulled himself out of the hearth. He had soot on his head, which made him look like he was wearing a black cap. How'd they ever find a grown-up as small as me to put those numbers in there? he asked. Because they did it as it was being built, said C.J. Someone put these puzzles in right from the start in the 1920s. Mr. Post must have known for a long time he wanted to hide stuff. But the question is why? Maybe he needed a place to hide his riches, Brid replied as she doodled in her notebook. From who? said Pat. I don't know. Maybe the banks or the government, so he wouldn't have to pay taxes, said C.J. Or maybe bad guys, Patrick said. Maybe he was worried the good times would end and he needed a safe place to store money and valuables, because the good times did end, said Brid. Yes, the stock market crashed and that started the Great Depression. Lots of people had no jobs and some lost their homes, C.J. agreed. Sounds a little like now, Brid said. A little, but much worse, said C.J. Maybe Mr. Post thought the world was coming to an end. Maybe he didn't trust his bank and didn't have a backyard to bury his treasure in. And it's clear he didn't want anyone to just find it by accident, Brid reasoned. C.J., she asked, as she continued to try and translate the numbers into letters. Yep. I'm definitely getting a message here. Do you think the answer will be in this chimney? Pat interrupted. Nope, C.J. said. It's not going to be that easy. That's why I stopped carrying that big key around. No lock is suddenly going to show itself screaming, Open me. This will take some detective work. C.J. was looking over Brid's shoulder. So it is a number letter association, he said, smiling. It's not even a skip seven, said Brid. It's a straight substitution code. Are you ready? She asked her brothers. They nodded, and she began to recite three words. Chapter 11 What does that mean? Patrick asked, looking at the three words Brid had written down, one for each of the hearths. Even if he could read them by himself, they made no sense. Tavinigus, servants, dumbwaiter. I don't know, said Brid. Maybe the company that installed the fireplaces did it for fun? Oh, said Patrick, unconvinced. So what's fun about those words? Come on, Pat, I'm trying to figure this out. She kept moving the letters around. Her pencil scratches the only noise in the room. Patrick was getting restless. He ripped open a bag of fried edamame chips, the only semi-good thing he found in the cupboard. So we're looking for a message? He asked, munching loudly. C.J. and Brid ignored him. Pat continued, a message about the stupid guy in the servants' quarters. He leaned over the notes and sweat from his forehead began to drip onto the pages. "'Gross,' said Brid, putting her notebook away. "'What do you mean, a stupid guy?' C.J. laughed. "'I think he means a dumbwaiter. "'Pat, a dumbwaiter isn't a stupid guy. "'It's like a miniature elevator "'used to bring things from one floor to another, "'usually from the kitchen to the dining room. "'I bet there used to be one in this apartment. 
Since one of the words is servants, I think we should look for it in the servants' quarters. But that first word? Tavinagus? Never heard of it. Pat kept staring at it. But since it's written in a circle, how do you know where the word begins and ends? Brid replied, I've written down all the possibilities by moving the first letter to the back of the word until we try every possible starting point. If I move the starting point over to the V, then the word is Vinagusta, whatever that is. Still, none of these words make sense to me. Look at this list. Brid held out her paper, which read, Tavinagus, Avinagust, Vinogusta, Inogustav, Nogustavi, Ogustavin, Gustavino, Ustavinog, Stavinogus. I can't believe I didn't think of that, said CJ. Let me do an internet search. Maybe one of these will mean something in another language. I mean, it sort of sounds like Greek or Italian to me, if you say it with an exclamation at the end. Ustavinog to you. Pat and Brid giggled. No Gustavi, Patrick, Brid said. No Gustavi, and you're welcome. In their father's office, CJ typed dumbwaiter and servant, while Pat and Brid sat on either side of him watching. Hey, what's this? said Pat, lightly touching the second computer. The screen came to life with the same swirling purple cyclone that CJ had seen the night before. Music blared like something from a James Bond movie. The design swirled into exploding fireworks and the lights joined together to form the words Digispy, a product of the LeCube company. As the dancing words and the music evaporated, the three Smithworks sat there in silence. The keyboard was practically begging them to hit return to enter whatever fabulous world Mr. Smithfork was creating these days. They were tempted to open the game, but none had the courage. Now that's interesting, said Patrick. Did you know Dad was working on a spy game? Brid asked CJ. Dad hasn't been talking about work as much as he used to, said CJ. I don't even know what that game does. Can we try it? asked Brid. We should leave it alone, said CJ. If we mess something up, he'll be mad. Let's stick to one mystery at a time. I thought you tested his games for him, Brid said to CJ. I used to, said CJ, with a little catch in his voice. Now he hires people to do it. Whatever. Whatever. Patrick was a little relieved not to be peeking at the spy game because he was usually the one who touched things and ended up in trouble. Now he wanted to focus on the mystery, but neither CJ nor Brid was telling him much. Brid and CJ knew the trick to using Pat to help them was not telling him exactly why they had him do certain things. He loved to talk and tell secrets, and CJ and Brid had gotten in trouble more than once when he told their mom something the kids were up to. But the older he got, the harder it was to fool him. Now that he had gotten information from a wall and a fireplace, he was too excited to simply go away. Why don't you go play basketball, Brid said to him. Where? In the backyard we don't have? How about in the hallway? Maricel and Mom are out so you can go crazy and we won't tell. What if that old lady downstairs complains? She won't, Brid said. 
I have the feeling she sort of understands us. Oh, okay. I guess you're sick of me, Pat said, stomping out of the room. A few seconds later, they could hear him pounding on the floorboards. He's actually been really helpful, at least more than he used to be. I almost wish we could include him, said Brid. Yeah, so he could blab to everyone that our house is sitting on a gold mine, CJ snapped. No, he's not a baby anymore, and I think he can keep secrets. If we only give him half the information, it won't be long until he's mad and he won't help us anymore, Brid answered. Whatever. CJ continued to type. CJ, are you nervous about school? Nervous? I never get nervous. What school, anyway? CJ said, knowing full well what Brid was talking about. He stopped typing and closed the laptop, too agitated to continue. Hello? First day of a new school? Who cares? It'll be fine, said CJ, as his stomach flopped. He changed the subject, talking rapidly. You know what our problem is? Every time we have a question, it gets answered with more questions. Our list of clues grows, but not as fast as our list of questions. We know two of the words are dumbwaiter and servants. We need to find the dumbwaiter in this apartment, and my guess is it's been taken out. I'm going down into the servants' quarters to check. And besides, it's too hot in here. With an angry slam of the desk drawer, C.J. stood up and went to summon the elevator. Brid sat, puzzled, and a little sad about the way her brother was acting. Ray didn't say much as he and C.J. descended to the lobby. The temperature in the elevator was oppressive. Despite that, Ray had on his full uniform, gray suit, white shirt, tie, gold brocade shoulder epaulettes, cap, and white gloves. The silence felt a little uncomfortable, so C.J. tried to strike up some idle chatter. "'Where is everyone?' asked C.J. as they stopped in the lobby. "'This building's mostly empty during the summer,' said Ray. "'But it's September.' The whole neighborhood is empty until the night before school starts. Everyone has a summer house in the Hamptons, where they go to Europe or out west. There are 24 apartments in this building, but only yours and two others are lived in this time of year. What about that older lady who lives beneath us? Is she new, too? <laughs> what, are you kidding me? Ray laughed out loud. Yeah, about 80 years new. She moved into the building as a kid. He looked at CJ's face and added, don't feel bad, kid. Things pick up real soon around here. I'm not sure I want it to pick up, said CJ. Kind of like it quiet like this, too, Ray said. I catch up on my reading. So you've worked here for a long time? Uh, forty years or so, he said, smiling so that his giant eyebrows merged into one. Seen a lot. Do you know much about our apartment? Nah, was empty for so long. After they split the original apartment into four separate ones, the Post donated the one you're living in to a museum. Later, when the museum tried to sell it, there were no buyers. It was after the Great Depression, and some people were still in a bad way financially. Nobody really lived there. He's got that wall problem, too. You know about that, right? Yes, I know. That was the rule of sale, that the walls stayed put. Yeah, in the last few years... All the apartments were selling for big bucks, all but those post ones. 
Not too many people wanted a place with restrictions and crazy rules, so the apartment just sat until your family found it. Yeah, my parents didn't mind that. My mom is into restoration and stuff. Yeah, that's nice. Your mom's working? I never see her around. Yeah, sort of. Volunteer stuff, you know, said CJ, not wanting to talk about how his mother used to be around all the time. But now she always had meetings about things like furniture or buying just the right light fixture. So you didn't know the posts? Nah, just the daughter. They were gone before my time. You knew the daughter? Yeah, you will too. It's too bad about her. What do you mean, I will too? Is she some sort of celebrity? Yeah, right. She lives on the 12th floor. What? Eloise Post still lives here? C.J. felt dizzy. Yeah, well, her life is quiet, you know. She was tired of people asking about her family all the time, so sometimes she uses a fake name. Eloise Munn. People don't know about her or her family anymore. It's like they all vanished. Poof. Hard to believe she lived in all that splendor, C.J. said, thinking of the post-family photo. And it's just her? Her and that bossy maid, Annika. Lady had some bad luck in her life, never married. After her mother died, she moved back here. I guess she likes hanging around all these old memories. I can't tell you why. Did you ever hear rumors of the post-family treasure being left in our apartment? C.J. asked. Did I hear? Kid, it was all over the papers. The dad kicked off and never explained to the post kids how to actually get their inheritance. The guy didn't trust banks anymore after the stock market crash, so he hid it himself somewhere, somewhere so safe that nobody, not even his kids, could ever get to it. Not very thoughtful, if you ask me. They took that apartment apart, found bits of clues here and there, but I think the guy was playing with people's minds. Yes, but he had to have left it somewhere, right? I mean, a lot of things they owned never showed up again. Yeah, it's somewhere, but it ain't here. This place was under a microscope for years. Still, that guy had country houses and a place in Europe, even though those were sold by his widow. I think they all got the wrong joint, if you know what I mean. C.J.'s mind was spinning. He was sure that he and Brid and Patrick had been able to get a little further in solving this mystery, because they had carried out Mr. Post's wishes. He thought of the older lady who lived below them. Was she really Eloise Post? the solemn girl in the portrait? Had she really come about the noise upstairs, or did she just want to see her old place, now that people were living there? He tried not to appear too excited, but some strange expression must have come across his face, because Ray's next comment was, Don't worry, kid. It'll be freezing before you know it. Chapter 12 After C.J. left the apartment, Brid deftly lifted the lid of her father's laptop and continued the work C.J. had left unfinished. Moving each letter in turn to the back of the sequence of letters, she made new words that she could search on the Internet. She learned that Vino Gusta was a wine guide. Too modern, Brid thought, but she wrote it down anyway. She tried Usta Vinog and got the message, Do you mean Ustavnog? Brid felt her heart pounding. Did she mean Ustavnog? She entered the alternative spelling and was led to a site for Russian newspapers. She wrote that down, too. 
Then she typed Gustavino. This time she got numerous responses. The first was for a restaurant in Manhattan. Doubtful, she thought. It probably wasn't around when Mr. Post was alive. The next was a reference to a tiling system named for a builder, Raphael Guastavino. Guastavino, whose name has sometimes been spelled Gustavino, came from Spain and made his mark on the New York City skyline, Brid read. Skyline? Buildings? Like structures? Brid could hear Patrick still pounding a basketball up and down the main gallery hall. She wanted to tell someone what she'd found. CJ! she yelled, before remembering he had gone downstairs. She thought about leaving Patrick and going to find CJ, but then thought better of it. She would have to wait. She sat at the second computer, the one with the Digispy logo. She touched the desktop icon that repeated the introduction to the game. It looked spectacular. Then she noticed an icon for a Digispy tutorial on the desktop. There was no harm in reading through a tutorial, right? At least then she would know what her dad was up to. She looked over her shoulder, making sure she was really alone, and for once she was. Delicately, almost as if it were an accident, she brushed her pinky finger against the return key. The screen filled with a rainbow of graphics, a mesmerizing explosion of light and cacophonous sound. Patrick must have heard it because the thumping of his basketball stopped and he came running back to the office. When the explosions mellowed, the screen narrowed to focus on a boy about Brid's age, who was demonstrating what appeared to be some sort of spy game. Brid and Patrick sat watching, their mouths hanging open in awe. However, it wasn't a game. Their dad's latest invention seemed to work like a robotic spy. It featured a simple, nozzle-shaped attachment that could be moved anywhere while feeding live footage back to the user's computer. The nozzle worked like a robot, able to slide around and film at the same time while continually sending digital images to the home computer. As the Digispy's different uses were demonstrated, Brid found herself lost in thought about what could be done with such a software. Hey, Patrick said, that's so cool. Brid felt surprised that he didn't say something like, I'm going to tell Dad on you. Little Patrick was growing up, and Brid thought they could really trust him with their secret. Do you think Dad keeps the game attachment in this office somewhere? Patrick asked, looking around the room. Brid said, Do you think that thing attaches to the computer's camera, and that's how it knows if it's going to bump into something? No, Patrick replied. I think you get the robot to move around by pressing the arrow keys on your computer. That's smart, Pat, said Brid. Where do you think the robot is? They bent under the desk, looking for the knobby robotic thing they'd seen in the tutorial. There was nothing like it around. Looks like Dad has another winner coming soon, Pat said. Pat, you know what I'm thinking? No. I'm thinking we could use a Digispy to see what else is behind the walls of this place. No need to send you upside down behind a wall again, right? I like going behind the wall. I don't mind. And besides, this thing is useless without that robot thing. Just then... They were interrupted by the sound of footsteps, heavy ones, like their dad's. "'Turn it off,' said Pat. "'I'll block Dad while you get that off the screen.' He ran from the room, 
while Brid frantically hit the escape key, trying to get the tutorial to stop. Why would Mr. Smithfork be home at this time of day? The steps the children heard were heading toward the back of the apartment, near the laundry room. Pat rounded the corner at full speed, only to come face to face with a strange man. He was tall, but stooped a little with age. He had the look of a wizened teacher, neat but not formal. His eyes were bluish-gray, and his gray hair almost touched his shoulders. He had just come out of Patrick's room. Pat gasped, thinking the man looked pale like a vampire. The man seemed equally surprised to see someone home. They stood still, summing each other up. The man looked more lost than scary, but even so, Patrick shook with fear. "'Can I help you?' Pat asked politely, though he was uncertain how a boy should address an intruder. The intruder seemed to think it best to get a move on. "'That's okay,' he said, brushing past Patrick into the laundry room, where he unlocked the back door and walked out onto the fire stairs, letting the door slam loudly behind him. Just then Brid came running up behind Patrick. "'Dad?' she asked uncertainly. Pat shook his head. No, Brid, it was some man, a creepy-looking man. His hands were shaking, and he sank down onto the sturdy floor.' 